I love making and designing shoes because I love what shoes can do for people. Hi, welcome to Fashion for Breakfast. My name is Gianluca Longo and joining me today is the brilliant luxury shoe designer Rupert Sanderson. A great pair of shoes transforms someone's mood. That can be the killer pair of trainers that you're dead pleased that you've got hold of to a stiletto that makes you look gorgeous. Rupert joins me here at Little House to discuss his career, his designs and his less is more philosophy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another Fashion for Breakfast. Today we have uh, the lovely, jolly Rupert Sanderson. Hello, hello everyone. Hello, everyone. As you know, Rupert um, has become a rec- recognizable name in the shoemaking industry thanks to the elegant designs. Um, I know he concentrates on the line, perfecting the volume and material, and he's very much like a magician of um, the beautiful shoe for a beautiful leg. So he's, uh, he's got a different story. Uh, of the usual talks that I have here with designers because he was, you were working in an advertising agency. Yeah, I was. I made a, uh, a decision where uh, I went to university, not art school, so I didn't end up in a fashion college or in art school, and which when you make those decisions, you get led off into a different direction. Um, and so I spent about 10 years sort of in the wilderness, uh, wor- working in a- advertising agencies, which was a strange world, which I didn't really ever really understand. And I'd always been creative, and when I was much younger, I designed everything I could possibly design, from boats to magazines to invitations to clothes to jumpers. You know, but I stopped it, and then I thought, this is what I really love doing. But at the age, tender age of 31, probably, I had to give everything up to go back to, <clears throat> to college. I found a college in the east end of London that some of you might know, well, it's not there anymore, but called, called the Cordwainers College, which um, everyone that makes shoes that you know of has been through. It's the only one in London. And so I enrolled on a two-year course to learn how to make shoes, not design shoes, just the simple craft of making shoes. And it was a very big gamble because I had to give everything up, you know, rented my flat out, moved back with the mate, went back to square one. Why shoes and not uh, T-shirts, for example? Well, I just love shoes. From the earliest time, I can remember every pair of shoes I've ever owned, or whenever I meet people, or even people I've bumped into 10 years after I met them, I, I can remember which pair of shoes they were wearing. I don't know, it's not fetishistic. I'm not sort of, you know, I'm not sort of, sort of shoe <laughs> pervert that sort of, you know, is indulging myself in in some sort of fancy... I think it's a little bit fetishism, fetishism in that, yeah, But I'd like to think, I'd like to sort of, it would be far more interesting if it was. And, and how long did you spend at the Corviners? Well, in the middle of the two years, after working flat out, as normal people do, suddenly I had this sort of two-month summer holiday. So I rode a motorbike down to Italy and went round, sort out, sorted out all the sort of appointments, which I thought I was being very organised and sort of got an Italian friend of mine to sort of fix all this itinerary up for me. And without exception, every time I turned up at this place at the appointed time, they didn't know who I was. <laughs> and I, had a, I have to say, I had the best time of my life. I mean, what's not to like about driving around Italy on a Triumph Thunderbird uh, you know, in the middle of June, um, visiting shoe factories and tanneries? I mean, I fell madly in love with the country, the whole thing, and I, I made a decision there and then to get back as soon as possible. So, like all the people you know of who succeeded in shoes, I left, and I didn't complete the course. So I went off to, to, um, 
to, to yeah, down to San Mauro Pascoli, which is yes. on the Adriatic coast, yeah, yeah. for three months. They gave me a little uh, Lancia Epsilon car, and I used to sort of drive into work every day and design shoes, and so and learned from the ground up. And so you spent time in Italy, um, and then when you come back to London, when you decide to launch Rupert Sanderson? Right? Well, um, so I then managed to get, it was put in touch with a little tiny factory that would make, and I could make a sample collection when I was living there. So, so I, I worked basically sort of moonlighted with this other little factory when I was at Burumali, just to get a small collection together. So when the factories all closed at the end of July, I had just literally a suitcase of eight samples. Yeah. And a plane ticket to America. Oh, okay. So, um, and that, so that's how I started. And they were Rupert Sanderson. They were Rupert Sanderson label. label. They were the brand. How did they look? I mean, do you remember the first shoe? Like, absolutely. You ever yeah, absolutely. They were brilliant. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> they, no, I was very, very proud of them. I was using the material, the most expensive material I could lay my hands on, because I was basically working off sample material rather than production run material. So I yes, could get this course, really good yes. stuff. I made something out of linen with these beautiful sort of Hessian flowers. Um, I did this extraordinary thing with sort of grow grain and, and, and border that where you could actually make patterns with. So you could actually buy three shoes, some were asymmetrical. Uh, well, one was a pair, but you could take one off and wear another shoe. So you had actually they worked in, you know, it was nuts. And then you so and then when did you launch Rupert Sanderson as a brand? I mean, soon after this, I mean, you back, back to, to London. Yeah, it was, it was spring, summer 2002 was my first collection. I literally made it all up as I went along. I had no idea. I just knew there were shops out there that sold shoes, and so I didn't know how, how they got on the shelves. Or I just, and eventually someone said, well, you know, you've got, got to speak to the buyers. How was your approach? I mean, you know, coming from an adver- advertising agency? I just phoned them up. I had okay. to, you know, I mean, it, I, I just, I mean, the funny actually, because last week um, was a little sort of a party for uh, Alexander Schulman, um, and I reminded her that when I was, I wrote her an email 15 years ago um, um, for my Hotmail account saying, you know, when I was sitting in Bologna in my, in my kitchen table and these six shoes on, and I said, I wrote to her saying, can I come and see you? I've made some shoes. And I did, because I suppose my naivety was, was my strength because I didn't yes. know anything about the world of fashion and all these sort of people that were graduating from St. Martins and the whole, how that industry sort of behaved and respected each other. I just like wrote an email thinking that someone actually going to respond to it. And, and she did, actually. She wrote back to me saying, <laughs> rather strangely, I'm not the person to ask, oh. but um, Camilla Ch- uh, Lucinda Chambers is. So I basically saw, went and presented the collection to the fashion director of Vogue. <clears throat> and I did a similar thing with, with, with Neiman Marcus. I just, I don't know, just said, well, I, I sort of worked out who these people were, wrote them emails, phoned them up, and eventually got to see them and just showed them the shoes. And... I think she just said, you know, 0.0001% of her budget could go on this yeah, yeah. bloke from London with these shoes. But it was a very different world. There were, there were, it was a different time. It, it, it seems yeah. like there were far fewer people. I think there's always a niche for everything, but I think also when you started, the, you know, the shoe, uh, the, the shoe brands, especially in this country, there were not so many. Mm. I mean, what there was maybe Manolo here, and then... Yeah, um, that was it, really. I mean, it's, yeah... There Christian was, Louboutin was just Christian entering was, the market, yeah. and that was it, I suppose. Yeah, there were very few... Italian brands were not very, very well known at the time. It didn't feel as, sort of, as, as, as choked up as it yeah. does now. Do you, when, you know, when you prepare, when you start designing a collection, I mean, what are the inspiration? what are your starting points? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a combination. I mean, it used to be 
um, when you were trying to establish yourself and establish an identity and a handwriting, that you were you were having to say something sort of absolutely brand new every season to get yourself noticed. But as you get more mature, you 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 establish a handwriting, a sort of an, an, an aesthetic. Yes. So you're building largely on the sort of shoulders of the previous seasons. So you you almost you can't be too crazy because it upsets the people who say, "Well, you don't make shoes like that. You make you you you, you your shoes are all like this." So you're making actually there's one element of the collection is quite fine adjustments to what exists already. I mean, colorings, different top lines, or heel constructions, things. But it's actually quite a simple process to just to update a silhouette. And I suppose I like juxtaposing things because I think in shoes you you can't send people down the runway and tell a story because it says what it is on the tin. You know, they are accessories. So you, you, within a collection, you have to have lots of little stories that are almost yes. unrelated. So you're in Bruton. Bruton Place or Bruton Street? Okay. No, Bruton Place, you're Bruton right. Place, yeah. And you got your own shop. Um, and in a moment where everyone is so concentrating in selling online, you know, uh, you know the net-a-porter and the, the fair fetch or whatever, the difference between online and shop, I mean, how, where do you see not so much of selling, but where do you see the importance of having a brick and mortar? versus online presence? Um, because you got also rupertsanson.com, Yeah, right? yeah, we've got, we've had, we, were, we were actually really early online. I thought it was absolute panacea. I thought we were going to make it, I knew exactly what we needed to do. This is probably 10 years ago. The first ads that were on vogue.com UK were our ads. Oh, really? And I, you know, I knew what I was doing in this situation. So got this campaign, all these sort of things ready. Went, you know, thought we can't spend that much, but as long as we get some onto it, it'll be fine. Um, Vogue.com launches, you know, great, okay. Is that the till ringing? Is that, are people just pouring in? You know, absolutely no, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. And, and, and I sort of thought, and it was a sort of, okay. And from that moment, I realised I don't understand how the web really works. Do you ever, do you ever um, spend time actually in the shop, like a, being a, your own shop assistant? I mean, they try and keep me off the shop floor. Oh, really? Why? Well, because I have, a, I have a quite a complicated relationship with the shoes because whenever I look at them, I, I, I'm always thinking, God, you don't want to buy those. Just hold out a bit. I've got some fantastic ones coming next season I'm working on at the moment. So I sometimes oh, talk no, the through, customer, customer think, yeah. So and what? I, and I can't, I, I can't, I've ne- I mean, it's strangely, I've never sold a pair of my own shoes. You know, and, and it's a quite an awkward conversation because... I feel like I'm bragging in front of someone else. Oh, they're beautiful. They look great on you. And I'm expecting the woman to say, yeah, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? You made them. And I sort of like crumble and think, well, you're right. <laughs> I'm sort of lying to you. And, and, and so I sort of, I sort of have this but complicated relationship. I know, but they don't design the shoes, you know. Exactly. So, so, so I tend to keep away from the, 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 the sharp end. Now, looking, for example, at this shoe that is so, actually, such a, it's so beautifully sexy, I must say. Do you think... When you design a shoe, you think about the leg of a woman. I mean, do you think the shoe is an extension mm. of the woman's leg or not? I mean, I say that. I say I do. But I, thought of, I sort of work in abstraction. You know, I look at it because I haven't got a leg in front of me when I'm designing the shoes. You know, I've got a blank piece of paper pencil. But it's just the, it's the proportions that, that I'm always then making it sexier after we, after the design has been, well, after once we've come up with the design, it's, 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 it's making straps thinner, it's making, you know, material, so it's less material, lighter on the foot, lighter on the feel. So, so I'm, I am making it sexier once, but the initial um, sort of inspiration is not, how do I make this leg look even longer right, or okay. even sexier? I then, uh, I've evolved the design. 
Have you ever tried your shoes on? Your high-heels shoes, sorry. <laughs> just, just... Because you, know, you talked about, you talked about no, Bruno, Bruno Frizzoni. Yes. Says that he, 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 his first collection, he I actually know, photographed yeah. his shoes yes, on his I own know. feet. Yeah, it's, it's a friend, actually. We talked <laughs> about that. But have you ever, I mean, I'd love to try these. Well, you, I, you know, the truth, is, the truth is, I've never tried any of my shoes on. I, I, physically, because I can't. Well, I think the largest size we've ever made is a 42 which at a push I can squeeze into. But I've never sort of secretly gone, oh, everyone's off now, bye for the day, okay. And then I sort of close the curtains and then we'll have a trial. And then the, shows, the show begins, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and in a way, I quite like that sort of weird abstraction. I've never, I've never worn a pair of my own shoes and I've never sold a pair of my own shoes. Okay. I, I sort of keep a... And that, make, that makes a successful designer anyway, I mean, yeah. for what we can see. So <laughs> let's take notes. Um, Rupert, talking about, you know, your brand, and you said, you know, you, had, you, you were the first one to launch a website and then to have a campaign that you um, advertise on Vogue.com, but you're still a small brand compared yeah. to the big conglomerates and, you know, the LVMH or the, yeah. the, the caring group or whatever. How do you promote Rupert Sanderson? I mean, of course, you, you, I don't think you have big campaigns with great photographers and can you pay, uh, you can buy uh, pages of magazines, but how do you promote it? I mean, is social media help, helping Facebook? It is, that's important. I mean, you know, we do a lot of, um, I mean, we have explored over the years, we've had PR agencies, but I've always been slightly dissatisfied with the experience because you're almost sort of handing over your story to someone else who's got loads of other stories they're thinking about as well. You know, a PR agency yes. has got a series, a, a roster of clients. And so it, it, immediately you've diluted anything that you feel strongly about. So I feel that we are, as a business, the best people to sell our own story. So I'm here now. Rosanna, my PR, has just come back from a week-long trip in America to go and see all the stylists and the, the, the um, celebrity dresses that are in L.A. So we have great relationships, the likes of Elizabeth Saltzman and people like that. You know, when you see a pair of shoes on a celebrity and a red carpet, does it really help? Um, Rosanna's looking at me going, yes, it does. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, it, it, it's been working very hard. It, it, I mean, I think it, 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 it is important because it gives you, uh, it validates what you're doing. I mean, you know, if... if, if Nicole Kidman is on the, the Graham Norton show wearing a pair of our shoes. You know, I can't believe anyone who's watching the Graham Norton show will actually recognise, hey, she's wearing Rupert Sanderson's <laughs> shoes, you see that? You know, no one's going to notice, but she's wearing it. We then can use that material, you know, we get it out to the influencers and the people. She's sort of endorsing me, and she's a, you know, stellar celebrity. And so by take, passing that information on to the people who count in our world, mm -hmm. it sort of validates what we're doing. So, uh, you know, and it costs us very little other than sort of maintaining good relationships with stylists and, and celebrities. We've had pretty much all the, the main, you know, Kate Blanchett wears her shoes, which is great when she wears them, but it doesn't feel like we've, you know, um, paid for them, because I know there's often a very murky business out in the LA where everyone seems to get paid loads of yeah. money to wear stuff. We can't afford it. So when they wear our, my shoes, you know, I keep thinking, God, it's good to see they wear them because they really like them. They could have been paid to wear someone else's shoes, but she's opted to. So that's almost like a double, you know, it makes us all feel, you know, in, internally, you know, as a company, better about ourselves. So, so there's a sort of, everyone feels that we're doing the right thing. And um, the Bruton Place shop is your only shop or you've got other shops? In well, again, we, we, had a sh we used to have a shop in Knightsbridge next to Harrods 
which um, didn't really work. It was tiny, and you know, as soon as you got a customer in it, they couldn't move. It was, never worked that one out. Can you imagine having a small shop and you in the shop, then really yeah, I mean, it would be possible, you know, yeah. why is sales zero this month? <laughs> and Rufus been in the shop. <laughs> um, so we've now got one shop in London, but we've actually got six shops in the Far East. Okay. So we've got three in Hong Kong. One in Beijing, one in Shanghai, and one we've just opened in Taipei, and about to open another one in Beijing. Um, which how's I've... the market there? I mean, how's the how are the customers in China? Because you know there's so much talk about how the Chinese and you know the um, Far East buy completely different well, from here. It is a completely different market. I mean, and we've learned. We have I have a partner in Hong Kong who was accidentally strolling down Bruton Place and saw the shoe shop in, a, in and so what popped in with his then girlfriend, bought a pair of shoes with her. And it went back to Hong Kong, and then she, her, she got a good reaction from the shoes. So he just, out of the blue, wrote me an email and said, oh, Rupert, Rupert, I must spend more time with you, because I mean, it's amazing. Well, anyway, but he, he, he said, if you're ever thinking of opening a shop in Hong Kong, um, you please, know, call us. please call us. And I said, well, I said, well, when, you, you know, when you're next in London, let's have lunch. He said, well, I can be on a plane tomorrow. And literally within a week, he was back, and he persuaded me that he could open a shop. So loose franchise arrangement. I mean, he'd never sold a shoe pair of shoes either in his life. So it was a bit of a pump in both, heart, both parts. And so we then learned together over five years, and he built up a business of Rupert Sanderson shoe business up in Hong Kong and Shanghai. We, we've actually gone to, to another phase now where we've actually launched a second brand because the, the seasonal collections I was doing and, and, and the wholesale and our own stores, he was, he was selecting from a, a, a very specific part of it. And so the collection was starting to look slightly different from what we were doing in the UK. And so we thought, well, there's an opportunity here to hive the two off completely so that you have R. Sanderson in the Far East. And so we now have another completely, I designed a completely separate collection now for that line. And what's the difference bet between R. Sanderson and Rupert Sanderson? Um, well, when we first started in business, one of the stories in the collection, I gold leafed a heel and, a, and an accessory with, the real, um, real, with gold. real gold leaf. Yeah, I bought a little box of how to do it kit off the internet and just gold leaf yeah when you put on the, the frame on a oh, picture yes, frame yes, yes, yes. so i thought well, it'd be quite nice this is gold leafer and so you know it's quite, if ever anyone's ever done gold leafed anything it's bloody tricky because it was so light and blows away anyway i managed to get this thing gold leafed it was a little just like four shoes in a in a in a, in a, in a sort of seasonal collection but he said look and this is to his huge credit he said that is going to be what? You can make a, an icon, a symbolic thing for a brand. In this market, people are looking for some identifying element. And so he then sort of, he basically wanted me to add pebbles, gold pebbles to everything. So we built up a separate collection um, using these gold pebbles. And at the same time, we, we developed different lacquering techniques and different gilding processes. Because in, in, in China, they, I mean, you know, that, you know, 2,000 years of that sort of exquisite finishes. Yes, and so we then developed this story based around, so I was designing these shoes and then putting these accessories on. So it was a very different, it was a much more upscale they're actually more expensive there by quite some way than, than the shoes, than my collection here. It's going to be diamonds next. You joke. We did, it with di we did it with diamond dust. So you can get a very, very thin veneer of this sort of incredible sort of diamond dust. Looks like sort of moon dust. On the, so you can, and again, to his credit, making these lacquering and making this process. So you have something with a, an accessory on a shoe that's got this diamond dust on it. Fantastic. Um, Rupert, I think we are running out of time, but one more question. When do you think it was the moment when you think, 
oh my god, I, I made it. I never feel satisfied with, you know, hey, I've made it, well, let's, you know, feet up. I like that feeling of being on my metal as soon as you on feel a bit toes, on my toes, yeah. I think now we should have just a nice round of applause. Thank you. This episode of Fashion for Breakfast was brought to you by Soul House and Radio Wolfgang. It was presented by me, Gianluca Longo, and featured the shoe designer, Rupert Sanderson. 